Welcome to Triskelion. Here's a brief introduction to get you started. The squabbling nations of Earth finally achieved the stars. Two other humanoid species from similar Goldilocks planets surmounted the bonds of gravity of their home worlds. Humans encountered the Rakal, and the first Rakal they met were massive eight to nine foot tall hulks with crocodilian eyes and olive reptile-like skin. Their hard clacking speech was surprisingly easy to translate. Humans called the other non-Terran humanoid species the Wolven, for out of legend the Wolven seemed to spring. Wolven were bipedal, wolf-like, but familial like the wolf pack, and not ravenous like the mythical werewolf. Many non-humanoid races were encountered. Rarely were they so easily understood by humans. The humans, Recall and Wolven, were collectively named the Triskelion, though squabbling usually prevented any meaningful alliances. Whether other species used the term Triskelion as a pejorative or a compliment changed in the moment. Opinions fluctuated much faster than the speed of light. Vast interstellar commerce networks created endless permutations of alliances and rivalries. Governments that had encompassed and regulated planet-side territories discovered to their great unease that their arms could not easily reach beyond their atmosphere. Only military security on primary space stations as well as established colonies was still maintained by several governing factions within the Triskelion species. Conflict, trade, and information moved more freely than human nation-states, Rakalian congregations, or woven major houses could regulate or monitor. Acquisitions and divestitures, bargains and deals occurred without oversight. Yet databases were kept. Transactions were followed on the many published indexes. Every year, every decade, and every century, more species, more organizations, and more ships became spaceworthy. And so more unique social fractals emerged. All manner of livelihoods meshed or splintered or blossomed into ever new societies. It was the three Goldilocks species who discovered the jump points that birthed the great expansion of the spacefaring peoples. Jump points were interlocking doorways. No one knew how many there were. These doorways opened to an interdimensional maelstrom that buffeted ships across light years in the apparent blink of an eye. Passengers were frozen in cryopods as the conscious mind for the vast majority of individuals could not cope with the unusual physics that existed within jump points. Pilots were the rare individuals who possessed the gift to stay conscious and sane within the whispering, maddening physics roiling in the between. Despite all efforts, piloting the between continues to be shrouded in mystery. Instrumentation fails there. Many pilots report they simply feel the exit, much to the distress of astrophysicists. From jump to jump, deeper and deeper into the endless starry night, the Triskelion sailed outward. The humans, Recall and Wolven, journeyed with abandon through their spiral arm of the Milky Way. We hope our glimpses into particular lives within the Triskelion will help you and us understand. And in understanding, we may avoid setting in motion the events and entities that led them to their dire crucible. Triskelion 01, Junkers of the Deep. Darla's hologram winked at me 
and her six-inch light image blew me a sweet kiss from atop the Silurian's console where I had affixed her holo sticker to the dashboard. I settled in the pilot's chair for a space flight with my new ship. You don't think it's possible to hijack a spaceship in the cold vacuum? Well, you're right. That's why I got hired on as a pilot first. Yes, I hijack spaceships. I'm a junker, and I make no apologies because I hijack in the name of love. Right now, I'm piloting my hijacked spaceship through the Zero Point Peninsula. Zero Point is a starless wasteland with few jump points between populated stations and fewer planets. Think of it as a back alley that reputable ships have little business traveling. The crew's in an imposed deep freeze thinking they are preparing for a jump to some seaside spa on a paradise planet. But there will be no gelatin hot springs for these Silurians. They'd wake none the worse for the cryosleep in a tugboat Tim and I had salvaged if all goes as planned. Not quite paradise, but they'll get back home. Papa set me up on this run as a pilot, since he knew I could pilot a jump and had papers to back that up. That's why the Silurians hired me. I was always happy to oblige Papa. If I wanted to marry Darla, did I mention she's my sweetheart? I was going to have to do what Papa said for another five and a half years. I'm a junker, and junkers have to earn their wives. Darla set her price at six years service, negotiated by Papa Junks, who was our elder, our chief, and most importantly, Darla's dad. This newly hijacked ship, the Mother Silas, was a Silurian cruiser, so you see junkers like me occasionally hauled away junk a bit before it actually was junk. After all, the more valuable the junk, the more time Papa would shave off the contract, and once the contract was satisfied, Darla and I could get married. So, I got myself hired on as a jump-capable pilot, which was the truth, and the crew obediently slipped themselves in cryopods for the jump. Hijack accomplished. Even if they had fought, it wasn't really a problem. I would have simply turned up the air conditioning. Under 60 degrees Fahrenheit, Silurians get lethargic. Once they were sluggish, I would have just slid or oozed their roly-poly bodies into their cryopods, and either way, I have a nice, peaceful hijacking. I don't think we'll have any trouble. They're tucked away sleeping now. These little chicks were trusting, and so eager for a pilot. They acted like they wanted to be cuckooed out of their ship. No passport check, no background check. Actually, they acted like they were playing hooky, and I was their substitute chauffeur. That much trust almost sort of gives me hope that maybe all the galaxy will one day be a harmonious collective. Well, daydreams weren't going to shave time off my contract. I should focus on finishing this hijacking. Our Silurian chickadees won't wake until after they've been dumped off their nest. This ship might buy me a year off my matrimonial contract from Papa. She had all the amenities, full multi-species gourmet larder and galley prep, recreation rooms, and the finest inertial dampeners for the smoothest docking and undocking money could buy. This hijacking will make a nice addition to the Junker fleet. Sensors registered a beep. Tim, my brother. We weren't blood brothers, but I called him my brother anyway. If a friend in the tribe was close enough, it was junker tradition to give them a familial title. Like an older woman who helped your mama would be called auntie if she wasn't your aunt. Soon as I docked with Tim's ship, we would transfer the Silurians to Tim's dilapidated barge before skipping out. Silurians were oozy, slippery, and heavy, but the ship had some servos that would lift them, cryopods and all, to the barge. We didn't kill. 
junkers only took from the universe what the universe didn't already want to be junked. You see, junk is a very theological concept, quite open to deliberation, amendment, and downright obfuscation, like any decent homegrown theology. One Silurian's junky old ship is another human's year closer to marriage. The persistent beeping from my console suddenly grew louder, a staccato beep-a-beep at an E above high C. The repeating three beeps and the piercing whistle made me wince. Something's not right. Timmy's ship should already be at the rendezvous point. It should be on visual. Peering out the porthole, I could just make out a ship in the distance. I squinted to see a receding speck against the starry abyss. Why was he moving away from me? What's going on? That wasn't the plan. He was supposed to dock with me for the cryopod transfer. It was hard to read this Silurian console. I had pretty much only thumbed through the pilot's manual. There was only one way to really pilot through jump space, but normal space was an entirely different matter. I had only expected to putt-putt her out to Timmy's barge. I fumbled with the sensor grid knobs. The knobs were like toddler toys, big and easy to manipulate for the Silurian's flippers. Nothing. I paged through the book trying to find a sequence to turn off the audio before my ears started bleeding. Finally, I came to the page I needed. Huh. Go figure. The audio beep maps to a Silurian battlecruiser, and three beeps would mean three Silurian battlecruisers somewhere right outside my aft. Suddenly, my fingers were leaving sweaty, prune-like imprints on the cheap manual paper. You ever get that all shriveled up feeling? That you can't quite breathe and need to escape feeling? I started hyperventilating. I hope I don't pass out. Battlecruisers were outfitted with massive plasma turrets, and worse, a railgun that had spears that could stick this ship like a starving man going wild at a takoyaki buffet. These javelins were propelled by electro-science or some such. All I really knew was their spears were as big as my entire ship. Stay calm. I tried to comfort myself. There was no real worry. The cost, because of the time it took to repair and calibrate those massive spears, once they fired, usually meant that the railgun was reserved for big fish, not a little minnow like this. All I just had to do was escape. Yeah, jump away and get my little prize out of the Silurian military sight. It was just bad luck that I ran into a patrol. Pursuing me would be way more than this Silurian merchant ship was worth. Heck, one launch of a railgun spear probably cost more than this entire ship. It wasn't cost-effective for them to expend too much effort to get me. Sure. All I needed to do was jump out of here. Was there a jump point? Ugh. This was Zero Point Peninsula. No jump point anywhere near here. Maybe I could try a blind jump. Blind jumps pulled your ship into the between without the navigational benefit of pre-calculated exit points. There was a 10% chance of going stark nutters at the end of the blind jump. The chance of coming out mentally impaired was cumulative for each blind jump a pilot's made, and this would be my third. 30%. Those aren't the worst odds. I swallowed hard. Well, there was a good pharmacology for most of that stuff, but it would ruin me as a jump pilot. It was either risk it or be captured. I activated the jump routine. What the hell? Darla liked him a little on the wild side. Then it hit. The whole ship rocked. Even against the mummy straps, I felt the G-braces fail and my ribs crack and shoulders pop. It wasn't the jump. Too sudden for that. I hadn't even synced up with the ship for jump yet. Railed! 
Thus, I felt the G-force send the blood to the back of my head and squeezed my jelly melon against the inside of my skull. Oh, crap. I felt myself fade away to a dull black. Ugh. Slurry was slopped onto my plate. I hated how it seemed to roll and wobble before sliding down to flop in my stomach. Silurian slurry, and doing time serving as a living code repository in a Silurian brain tube. Ten years, or five million lines of code, whichever came first. How was I to know one of the Silurians in my ship was a duke, or whatever was the oozy royal equivalent of a duke for Silurians? Oh well, I'd slip the manager guard a tip on the slot racer's grand jump prix. I guess Papa Junks liked me after all. That was a hell of a care package. Fantasy League pick sheets waited for big rollers. Those pick sheets had full holograms and schematics on the ships and odds on which pilots might be set to take a dive. A creative gambler could line up dozens of side bets on one good holo sheet. That assured me as many Zozyme injections as my jelly melon could handle and extra time in the prog tank too. I'd have that code done in six months. Hell, I could never marry Sweet Darla until I had hijacked her a nuptial fleet. I was a deep space junker, and I wouldn't have it any other way. After all, Darla was still waiting for me. I hope. <laughs>